One of the major headlines from the state budget adopted in early May was the inclusion of a billion-dollar investment in transforming the way New York cares for those struggling with mental illness. For more on the scope and implementation of this funding, which was a priority for Governor Hochul, we're joined by Ann Sullivan, Commissioner for the State Office of Mental Health. Welcome back to the show, Commissioner. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, it's our pleasure to have you here. For starters, though, can you give us some context about this investment in terms of what the state spends annually on mental health services? I mean, how big of a deal should we think of $1 billion from the larger perspective? Um, this additional billion dollars um, is huge for the state. Um, our annual budget is in the um, 3 to $4 billion range for state spending on mental health. I'm not including Medicaid, but this is a huge, huge um, investment. The reason it's so important is that it covers the entire span of services. Um, when the governor's vision here is to really transform mental health care across the state. So this influx of dollars includes prevention services, includes access to care for New Yorkers, and then includes services for some of the individuals in New York with the most serious mental health challenges. So for example, in prevention, there's a tremendous amount of emphasis on school-based services, um, getting clinics into schools, getting prevention into schools, um, working with our youth who have particularly suffered post-pandemic and making sure that these services are there in the schools for them and for their parents. It also includes funding for something we call Healthy Steps, which is for youth who are coming to pediatricians' offices um, in the early years, zero to five, basically putting mental health practitioner in that office. It'll serve as a pediatrics best practice, and it will serve over 300,000 families and youth across New York State through this budget. So huge investment in um, prevention, which also includes suicide prevention and mental health first aid. And then there's access to care. And that includes a, a massive expansion in um, our outpatient services. We have something called Certified Community Behavioral Health Centers, which provide integrated substance use and mental health care. And we have 12 of those across the state. We're tripling that to 36 across the state. 36, that will serve an additional 200,000 New Yorkers. We're also increasing many of our uh, services such as ACT Assertive Community Treatment by a, a significant amount. We're increasing our services for high needs youth. Um, so there's a massive expansion of the infrastructure. Basically, wait lists will go down. People will be able to get the services that they need. And then the third big bucket of dollars goes for those who are the most seriously mentally ill. And I don't think we've seen this kind of investment since deinstitutionalization, to be quite frank. Um, this is going to offer 3,500 units of housing for individuals with serious mental illness. It will also be providing um, 150 new state psychiatric beds, the reopening of 850 community beds that closed um, during the pandemic. They're being gradually opened over the next two, two to three years. They will all be back online. Um, this is an incredible investment, but beds are only a piece of it. The biggest piece is ensuring that there's the intensive services that these clients need. Housing, wraparound services, such as critical time intervention teams that will work with these individuals when they leave an ED and when they leave inpatient. I know that um, often there have been um, criticisms of the system because individuals leaving emergency rooms with psychiatric problems don't get the services they need. These critical time intervention 
services will be wrapped around individuals coming into our emergency rooms and leaving our inpatient services and then helping them to be successful and thrive in the community. Um, the governor's also supported employment for the seriously mentally ill. So there's dollars in this budget so that individuals with mental illness will not only have safe housing and a place safe to live, but we can begin to move many individuals onto the road to employment. So it's an incredibly exciting budget, I think, that really touches on so much of the mental health system and can offer so much for New Yorkers. Well, a lot of what you're talking about there boils down to increasing access to services, but the healthcare system, including the mental health sector, is experiencing significant staffing shortages. So where will you find the people to actually implement this investment? For example, where do you get the bodies to staff 42 additional assertive community treatment teams or 50 new critical time intervention care coordination teams? Let me say that we have been slowly staffing up on ones that we started last year. So it is happening, but there's a major effort here. Two things. First of all, we've had two back-to-back colas. That hasn't happened in over a decade in New York. So there was a 5.4% cola last year, 4% cola this year. We have also significantly increased rates for clinic services. And we've increased rates for, for example, ACT teams. And we've increased rates for inpatient beds and um, housing and investment in the service part of housing. This is um, an increase of almost $100 million over two years. So there's been dollars that have been put into the system, but dollars isn't everything. So the other thing that we're working on is a loan forgiveness program. Last year, there was $9 million uh, for loan forgiveness for um, nurse practitioners and psychiatrists. And half of those dollars are out and the other half are being applied for. This year's budget, there are $5 million for loan forgiveness for social workers, psychologists, licensed mental health counselors, et cetera. Um, We're really expecting that that will have an influence on encouraging individuals who are graduating from these schools to become involved in mental health. And then lastly, we're working very closely with the training institutions across the state, especially SUNY and CUNY. We have some scholarships for minority and underserved youth who are in those programs to serve, to work in um, mental health. We are, um, as for example, a very um, nice program where we have give a small, this one, we just give a small stipend to social work students to learn best practices and mental health in their training time while they're in social work school. And they come and learn that in one of our clinics. And we've got a very good uh, percentage of those individuals then stay and work with us. So it's also getting people to understand the rewards of working in the system to um, get the incentives such as loan forgiveness. Um, Young college students in social work schools, even they they don't know about the public mental health system. So we're in the process of recruiting and working and we're hoping that that will also yield results. Often people have worked in the public sector before because it's a learning environment. So one of the things that we're going to be doing, for example, for child workers is paying for um, evidence-based practices in, teaching evidence-based practices in some of our clinics across the state. Um, That's another lure for people to come because they can learn things, learn things that they may not learn if they were just going to other positions um, in the field. So there's many pieces. It's a multifactorial issue. It's a national crisis. Um, It's something that we've always had difficulties not being able to fully recruit. It's true, it's worse now, but I think we're trying to solve the problem from multiple angles. Well, circling back to the COLAs you mentioned, the cost of living adjustment that was included in this year's budget was less than half of what the mental health industry was looking for. So can you talk about why other 
aspects of the mental health sector were prioritized in terms of investments as opposed to doing the full 8.5% cost of living adjustment that was requested? Was there something about that type of investment that was seen as not as beneficial, for example, as spending that money elsewhere? I don't think that's the case. I think that the issue is this is still a nine point, um, this is still a nine point four percent COLA over two years. Right, but they asked for eight and a half percentage points. Yes, but often you can't give everything in terms of the total. Right, but if budgets are about priorities, why was that prioritized over that? I'm, try- I'm trying to understand the thinking. Why was one thing seem more beneficial? Yeah, sorry, but the thinking has been that there's other investments that have gone in, and when I mentioned those increases in rates. Though when you give an increase in rate to a clinic, that kind of sifts down into also being able to increase salaries. So those increases in rates that were put in by a lot of federal funding that came in um, post-pandemic have been made permanent in New York State. So we've supported the, the basic provider system in many ways, not just with the direct COLA. So I think that was part of the thinking. Loan repayment is another way to support the sector. That can give $30,000 a year to a psychiatrist. That can give $10,000 a year to a social worker. Those kinds of investments also pull people in. So there are other ways that it's been, so it's not it's not been prioritized, but some of the dollars have been provided in other ways. And yes, it's not the COLA that people were asking for, but it's a significant COLA. You mentioned that $1 billion represents a significant investment in the mental health sector. So what do you envision as the timeline for spending all of that money down? For example, could all of it go out the door by the end of this fiscal year on March 31st of 2024? Or or is some of this money going to take years to actually spend? Well, I wish it could all go out by by the end of the year, but no, it's going to take some time. But we are already, um, we've already sent out and we'll be sending out over the summer and into the fall, a lot of these dollars. So for example, we already have an RFA which is going out for 600 licensed departments. We have um, the CCB expansion, which I talked about in terms of clinics, that's the, I believe it's like 15, 13 to $15 million. That will be going out this um, very soon this summer. So a lot will be going out this summer and into the fall. And then some is going out a little bit later because some of it we are redesigning. So for example, um, 900 transitional beds, we've not had um, that concept in New York State before. And these transitional beds will be linked to hospitals and to individuals leaving institutions, sometimes individuals from jails and prisons, sometimes individuals from hospitals, um, from emergency rooms. Um, So it takes a little time to design that. Those will probably come out late fall, early next year. But our goal is to get all of these out as quickly as possible. So no, it's not going to take years and years. Now, the one piece that will take time is some of this is what we consider permanent housing. So the capital has to go out. There's 750 units that will be be new units built. That will take time. That will take two or three years for some of those units to appear. 750 are what we call scatter sites. They should start up. probably in the fall, early next year. So again, it's, it's a mixed bag, but no, this is not going to take years. Um, the governor has been very clear about this, that she really wants to see these dollars out there and she wants to see this impacting as quickly as possible um, all New Yorkers. And when it comes to something like investments in housing, those capital investments, those are obviously one-time investments. So how much of this $1 billion should we think about as raising the baseline of annual investments in 
the mental health sector in New York? For example, will hundreds of millions of dollars of this represent recurring funding, or is this mostly a one-shot investment into the system? The vast majority of these dollars are recurring. So all the clinical services that I'm talking about are ongoing services. And they, to the extent that they are paid for by Medicaid, that's been included in the Medicaid budget. To the extent that they are paid for by um, state subsidy, that's been included in the budget. The other piece is that the governor has been very strong on making sure the commercial payers and other payers also contribute to mental health. So for example, school-based services that I was talking about earlier will be paid for by not only by uh, Medicaid, but also by commercial payers um, as of um, January of next year. And um, the crisis services, those intensive crisis services that I spoke of, they will be paid for by commercial payers. They will have to pay by January of 2025. So it, they are embedded. Um, the vast majority of these services will be embedded into the um, insurance and payment system on the clinical service side. Now, when you talk about housing, yes, I mean, there's a limit to capital. There's so many capital dollars which will go um, to build um, housing, for example, but the support services for that housing are embedded in the budget. So that's ongoing. So once those housing units are built, they're there forever. Um, the scatter site rental apartments are there forever. The, um, uh, so basically, except probably for the building part of some of the capital, um, it's, but once they're built, they're ongoing forever, the support services that are there. So this is recurring dollars. This is not one shot at all. Well, finally, as these investment dollars flow into the mental health sector, how will you go about evaluating the success of these investments and whether they're worth continuing or, or whether they need to be tweaked in some shape or form? Yeah, no, that, that's critical. We need to know. So we, are, we will be gathering data. All of these investments will be linked to individuals giving us back data, data that will say, first of all, whether they're set up, how they're running, but also outcomes. So outcomes that we're going to be looking at, for example, with the dollars that we are putting in to assist with the inpatient beds, we're going to be looking at how long people wait in emergency rooms um, for services. Um, and we will be getting data back from those emergency rooms. And when we put these intensive services around those emergency rooms, we are expecting that basically with that, with that time will be significantly decreased. How long someone waits for a bed um, when discharged, um, are people get our individuals getting readmitted when it comes to community based services and our CCBHCs, for example, we look at things like how many people um, use emergency room services instead of clinic services, because one of the goals there is to make sure that individuals really use the um, appropriate services for the appropriate level of care. And then we're also working on, and this is difficult data to get, but we're working on long-term outcomes. Trying, we will try to look at things like employment and whether or not all these services ultimately, and this will take time over years, really increase the employment um, opportunities and abilities for individuals with um, serious mental illness to, to get employed and also safe housing. So for example, with all the work that we're doing with the homeless on the um, street, the individuals who are living on, sadly on streets in the city, we are looking at how many we are housing. And we're so far, we have, you know, some good numbers. Um, that the, the, our safe option support teams have been in place doing this intensive homeless work um, in, in conjunction with the city and in conjunction with other outreach teams. But our teams have been doing this work now with the most, um, the individuals have the most difficulty accepting services um, for a little bit over a year. And we've been able to move 300 individuals into safe housing in terms of um, shelters or safe havens, but 150 into permanent housing. Now I know that doesn't, um, that's a huge number when you talk about individuals who've often been on the streets for five, 10 years.
that's a huge number of individuals. So we know that these things can work and we're following the outcomes. And then if they're not working, we're gonna adapt along the way. Um, and that involves working with communities, getting community feedback. Um, we're going to have collaboratives set up across the state, listening times, hearing. So the communities give us back the feedback. Is this really working or not? Well, we've been speaking with Ann Sullivan. She's the commissioner for the State Office of Mental Health. Commissioner, thank you so much for making the time. And I look forward to talking with you more as you implement this major investment. Thank you so much. And um, it's incredibly exciting. And it's been a pleasure to talk about it. Thank you. Is your business, agency, or service interested in delivering your message to more than two dozen radio stations statewide carrying Capital Press Room? If so, visit capitalpressroom.org to contact our underwriting team.